0: Hi, this is Arielle Jack, Student Ministries Director here at New Life Church. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I pray the following presentation encourages, challenges, and inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy the message. We're going to continue in our series uh, that is a series around the good questions, okay? What makes us human? Last week... Uh, we kind of asked the question, what is a human? And uh, this week we're going to talk about, and the title of today's message will kind of give you a, a concept. Remember, we, we made a, a comparison to um, human beings being designed, even like a, a, a mechanical thing, like a dishwasher or a washing machine. You know, when you use it properly and you go to the manual and figure out how it works, it works great. But if you start washing your Dishes in the washing machine and your clothes in the dishwasher, you're going to have problems. Okay? So I want to know how do we tune this machine? How do we tune this machine called humans? So the, the, the title is this How do humans thrive? Wouldn't that be good to know? How do I? I'm a human. Sometimes I don't feel as a well human. I feel like I'm more of a monster. But How how do I thrive? How do I thrive? I I want to know what the word says about how we can thrive as human beings. So the big idea is this. God has made us. And having made us, he has not left us, but remains intimately involved in the daily lives of his image bearers. Leave that up for a couple minutes. (coughs) Intimately involved in the lives of his image bearers. We were made... For this type of regular, constant, forward-moving relationship. When we get outside of that, we start to break down. Okay? So there's four key realities that flow naturally from this big idea. That he is intimately involved in the daily lives of his image-bearers. Four months. The first one we're gonna talk about today is. We are made to worship. We are made to worship. So, atheism is folly. Atheism is folly. This concept that, now, here's the thing. Atheism is a tricky thing. Because there's, a, there, there, there's atheists out there that will say, like, I just don't believe in God. Right? And then there's atheists that are sitting in churches who say, I believe in God, but they live their lives as if he doesn't exist. So they're practical atheists. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I would never be an atheist. Really? Okay. We challenge that concept today. Comedian Pete Holmes has this bit that I came across as I was researching this this point. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to be able to hit the punchline like he did, but he thought it was interesting. That sometimes comedians are the ones who kind of rip off the band-aids of our, or blinders of our eyes, right, In our culture. He said this, some people say God created the universe, and some people think that nothing created the universe, which is the funniest guess. And then the nothing people make fun of the God people. They say, God doesn't exist. I'm like, okay, maybe, but you know what definitely doesn't exist? Nothing. That's the defining characteristic of nothing is that it doesn't exist. I thought that was interesting. interesting commentary. Right? Humans, beings, are worshipers by nature. The question is not if, but what we will worship. Think about it for a second. We all worship something, and we worship something in order to Gain the fulfillment that comes with that thing. We do it all the time. We just wouldn't call it worship in a lot of in a lot of places. But what we give our time to, what we give our energies to, what we lift up and elevate is what we worship. Okay. Proverbs 1 7 says this the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay? Fools despise the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 14.1, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. Folly is not lacking common sense, nor is it a matter of intelligence. It's not even a matter of appearing religious. Folly is refusing to worship God. There's a lot of smart people who this particular passage would say are fools who are involved in folly. Okay? Folly is refusing to worship God. We can't do, we can do that both by that, you know, never darkening the door of a church, you know, the atheist, atheist way. Or we can do it by all kinds of spiritual activity, the religious way. Worshiping God doesn't mean that you are doing things in churches, right? That's not worshiping God. You could be really, really busy, quote-unquote, Christian, and not be worshiping God with your life, and in the practical sense. What ultimately matters is who we depend on for our life and flourishing, ourselves or our maker. You might tick the box Christian in the census Application. But you might be a functional atheist. To that, the Bible simply says, folly. You are a fool if you think that that's going to help you thrive. Romans 1, verse 20 says this. For his uh, invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. What is he saying? Everybody knows this. It's the biggest non-secret. I mean, really, everybody knows. It's, I mean, we, honestly, today even we have less of an excuse than ever before. Why? Because we know just how designed we are. I mean, you go, you take a uh, one of those fancy dancy microscopes that they look way down to the smallness of things. And you know what there is down there? More stuff. There's more stuff, and you know what it does? It does stuff. The, 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 the way that the, um, the DNA Functions Like a Machine is, has anybody ever ever watched anything about that? It's absolutely fascinating. It, like, it can't not do what it was created to do. In fact, when it doesn't do what it's created to do, you get sick. So they have these little tiny microscope things that go way down, and every single time they think they've reached the bottom, they break that thing open, oh, there's more. And then they have these huge telescopes that, that they put out into, into space, and they look, and guess what they, when they look out, guess what they find? More stuff. And all of that came from nothing. All of that design and all that intricacy came from nothing. Now, come on. Everybody knows that's stupid. They just don't want to say it out loud. Why do they not want to say it out loud? I'll tell you why. Because if they admit that there is a maker, then they have to ask the question, what is my responsibility to that maker? Verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. And what happens when when we get down that road? Instead, their thinking became worthless. And their senseless hearts were darkened. I'm going to assert to you today that we live in a culture of senseless darkened hearts and we need to bring some light into that darkness because that's how we thrive. Atheism is folly. Okay, key reality number two. God made us for dependence so we need to trust him. We need to trust him. Like an engineer who gets to decide how his product functions, like parents with their precious children, God has authority over us. We owe him everything, our gifts, our minds, our wealth, our love. When you drive into a gas station, unless you have one of them fancy new Teslas, The, there's, a, there's a choice you have to make. You There's the green nozzle and the non-green nozzle. Now, what I realized recently is that the engineers of cars think you're stupid. <laughs> they think I'm stupid. And one day, they helped me out <laughs> because I was stupid. As I wasn't thinking, and I went to put the green nozzle into my car. And the hole's not the right size. Thank you, engineer. Because I would have filled my car full of diesel. That would have been fun. Right? So we have to fill our life, our vehicle, our God-given machine, with the thing that causes it to run properly, or we're going to. You could stick sugar water in your gas tank. See how that works. Go for it. He's like, you no, know, I decided today that I am going to do me. I'm going to live my authentic life, and I'm a sugar water person. And I'm going to put sugar water in my, my gas tank. Go be you, man. But don't expect it to work well. Right? Or you, maybe you're a jet fuel person. And you're like, you know what? I, I'm a jet fuel type of person. I'm going, to, I'm going to put jet fuel into my Taurus. Right? I mean, come on. It might work, and you might go fast for a second, but you're going to flame out, and you're going to blow up. It's not designed for that. It's not designed for it. And we don't, we don't get to make the decision of how we're designed. We have to depend and trust him. One of the grand deceptions of the Western thinking has been that true freedom can only be found through personal independence. Too often, people have been oppressed or exploited by those in power over them. And to be freed from this is a matter of justice. I'm not saying that that that's a good thing. I'm saying that that's, that's bad and there needs to be justice. Uh, we, we are, my wife and I support a, a ministry called the in- International Justice Mission because I don't know if you know this, but slavery is at an all-time high in our world right now. It's crazy. These little kids and, and, and women are being sold into the sex trade and, and uh, workers all over the world. And we think that's wrong. Where do we get that thought? Right here. It's it's not okay. It's just not okay for anybody to be subjected and, and oppressed like that. It's not okay. So we work towards that. But here's the thing. It's an enormous leap from human power abuse to assuming we're better off without any authority, let alone God's authority. Right? I mean, think about it. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says this. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So here's, I want, this, this, uh, Paul is telling the Philippians, which we're going to study in a few weeks, that this is the mind of Christ that we should have. What is the mind of this authority that is over the top of us? I'm going to, I'm going to lay it out for you because Paul does. Who existing in the form of God did not s- consider equality with God as something to be exp- exploited. Uh, exploited. He was God. He had all authority. How did he use his authority? Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So this is what he did. He humbled himself, he, he took his power, and he said, this is my right. But I'm going to Exercise my rights in love and he came to earth and then after that Situation that step down huge step down. He humbled himself further and said, you know, what? I'm not just going to Exercise my love by coming out of glory I'm going to exercise my love by humbling myself to the point that I'm willing to die for these people It's huge, right? even the death of the cross for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is entirely dependable, good, and glorious. He's generous, especially toward The most vulnerable. Listen to this. This is the kind of God that we come under the authority of. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. Who? Okay, great. That's who he is. Now how does he exercise his authority? He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. What's not to like about trusting a God like that? Right? We're made for dependence, and thank God that he is who he is. He's not a tyrant. Number three, key reality. God put eternity in our hearts. God put eternity in our hearts so this life can never fully satisfy. God put eternity in our hearts, so this life can never fully satisfy. Because we're hybrid creatures, neither angels nor beasts, even the best things of this world can never fully satisfy us. The writer of Ecclesiastes spent a lifetime grappling with this confusing paradox. One by one, he examines the things that people turn to meaning in life he turned to fame which he had fortune which he had work which he had and pleasure which he had he had all these things for each he reaches the same conclusion it's like trying to grab hold of fog it's utterly meaningless let's read a little bit about ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 14 I have seen all the things that have done under the sun. All of them are meaningless and chasing after the wind. Now let me just make, like, Pastor, we're here. We're supposed to do stuff, right? You said last week we're supposed to be, we're supposed to work. That's, yeah, no, yes, it's true. It's not that earthly endeavors lack value, but because we are, not entirely terrestrial beings, the things of this world could never fully satisfy. The writer of Ecclesiastes concludes that true joy can only be found in a life lived in connection with our creator and of trusting him for what lies beyond. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What is He saying? There? What is He saying here? This is great. This is great. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. God has created everything to be beautiful in its time, but it's not everything, and it's not enough. So He's given us this awesome thing we call this earth. He's given us this, this beautiful playground. To, to work with and to and to subdue and to make something out of. He's given us relationships. We talked about that last week, we're made for relationships. He's given us relationships to cultivate and to grow. But it's not enough. If we put our hope in those things, we if we think that those things are gonna ultimately satisfy us, we are going to be in trouble. C.S. Lewis understood this perfectly. In his seminal work, Mere Christianity, Mere Christianity, he writes this. Now, he writes very flowery, so I'm going to do my best to read this properly. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. So creatures are not born with desires that they can't fulfill, that that they're unable to fulfill. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If there's things in us that this world can't satisfy, the probable explanation is that we're not made solely for this world. There's something out there, there's something that God has put in our hearts that makes us long for the eternal We should not be surprised by the many frustrations of this life. If you feel frustrated with this life or things are not going well, it's a proof in your mind that, man, this is not everything. This is is not how it was meant to be. There's something more. There's something better. There's something that God has put in our hearts. Rather, we should see them as a sign of and a hunger for another life. World. Some people, are like, I I can't even contemplate heaven. I can't even I can't even imagine uh, what heaven's gonna be like. Like, is heaven gonna? Well, first of all, our understanding of heaven is completely wrong. We're not made for like clouds and harps and halos and wings. What's that? We were made to be terrestrial beings. So when Christ comes back. It says he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to live back on earth, and we're going to do what we've always done. We're going to work it. We're going to, we're going to continue to do the thing. We're not, we're not made for clouds. That's not, that's not good theology or eschatology. It's not how it works. But aside from that, we can't even understand, like, what are we going to do for eternity? When I was a kid... I always just think, man, heaven's going to be, like, full of roller coasters. Because the the greatest thing I could, like, imagine was, like, amusement park. Like, it's going to be Disney World without the lines. And everything's free. (laughs) And everything's free. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what I I mean. But as an adult, I'm like, I don't know. What's heaven going to be like? The Bible is not really super clear. But that longing is there. Right. So, we are made for more than what we feel. Our bodies wear out. And that's a, that's a thing that points us to, like, there's something more out. Because it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel right. Okay, let's move on. Key reality number four. And this is the last one. God made each one of us valuable. So no one is Disposable no one is disposable all christians all christian arguments about the sanctity of human life derive from this essential fact human value is derived from our createdness none of you none of you said i want to be created no one had an epiphany one day i'm not created therefore i want to be you had no control over that god is the one in control of the making process. He's the creator. That means he gets to set the value. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Think about that. If pennies, sparrows, are worth very little to us, But God knows when their time is done. And then he goes on to say this. He goes, you, on the other hand, every single hair on your head is numbered. Some of us, that's an easier job than others. (laughs) I'm looking at a few of you. (laughs) But think about it. What 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 is the statement? What does that mean? It means... Yes, birds, God knows. And he, he, doesn't not, not, he doesn't not care about them. But He knows you so well. You are far more valuable that He even counts the hairs in your head. Nobody does that. That's, that's crazy. All right, just a quick dating thing. If somebody wants to count the hairs in your head, run. Okay, that, yeah, don't even, just just run. Okay. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Well, that's good to know. Like, God's like, I set the value. You don't set the value. I set the value. And I say, you are valuable. Sparrows are created, therefore, they have value. Humans are created in the image of God. Therefore, we are valued on a different level than the animals. Each of us is born with extraordinary potential, physically, intellectually, creatively, morally, relationally. One of life's most unforgettable moments, think about this if you've gone through this, if you've had this opportunity, is the day you held your kid after they were born. And I, all I'm thinking is I'm holding this kid, and I'm thinking, oh, crap. How am I going to do this? I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you thought I was going to say, oh, he's so beautiful. I'm thinking, oh, man. No. I mean, once you get over that moment of, like, oh, I'm terrified, you start saying this. What is this kid? God, Look at the potential in this life. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? How am I not going to mess it up and get in the way? How can I cultivate the potential in this child to be everything that God wants them to be? It's an amazing moment. Of course, none of us match perfectly with what we have the potential to become. There's no perfect specimen. But that doesn't stop us from being fully human. A criminal is still fully human, even if if his behavior is subhuman and dehumanizing. He's still a human. Therefore, his life has value. We have to be careful when we start. uh, I'm not saying people shouldn't pay for their their crimes. Don't, Don't get me wrong. But we should be very careful how we go about that Because there's value in that person. We shouldn't just write people off. We shouldn't just write people off. A child with Down syndrome is fully human, even if his mental capacities are restricted. You don't get to place value on that. God does. A grandfather is still fully human, even if he's bed-bound and unable to feed himself. There's value there from from the beginning to the end, which brings up the most controversial issue of our time. When does life start? All human beings equally share the image of God, and the fact that we are sinners doesn't destroy it. This is true of all of us, even before we're born. So God can tell Jeremiah this. In verse one, chapter one, verse five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That's an interesting concept, that before, before conception, God already imparted value. That's 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 uh, you know we try to put these lines on things. And it's like, hmm, well, maybe uh, you know, ten weeks in or wait a minute, hold on, God, that's not our job. That's God's job, and He says, I already knew you. David can rejoice in the fact that God, in Psalm 139, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, God is involved even at the moment of conception. The Bible never speaks of any moment at which someone somehow becomes human. The Bible is very clear that every every stage of human life is human. This has profound implications for how we think about questions like abortion. The law of Moses commanded the same penalty for someone who causes the death of a baby in the womb as if someone committed a murder. I found this the other day, and I was like, that's it. That's it for me. No more more questions. Look at this. Exodus 21. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But, listen to this, but if there is serious injury, you are to take a life for a life. What does that mean in Old Testament speak? It means this. If you damage a fetus inside the womb by, by uh, malicious maliciousness, that life is... Is worth your life. Even if you're 40 or 100 or 12, that child in the womb has the same value as you do. I can't, I, I'm not making this stuff, it's right there. So I'm, I'm done. That's it. For me, it's over. The, cu- the question is over. This clearly indicates that God considers a baby in the womb to be fully human, equal in value to a full grown adult. Well, pastor, that's not very compassionate to the, to the people. What? well, hold on a second. Nobody said that. If, you, if you've gone through something like this, man, my heart goes out to you. We love you. You don't have to feel uh, shame in here. People make mistakes. People do, I, I make mistakes all the time. We love you. Just because we're saying what the word of God says and how we should move forward in our lives so that we can thrive as human beings doesn't mean we hate people. No way. Because we believe in the gospel of grace, we should always be sympathetic and reassuring of God's love and forgiveness to those who have lost a child. Any Listen, one of the biggest uh, heartaches of the pastorate is walking through somebody's grief over the loss of a child. You, know, you want to know how the most times I deal with that is the loss of a child before it's born. That's the most often I deal with, with couples. It's, it's heartbreaking. And we need to be full of support and grace and love for people who are struggling, even if it was their decision. Remember what I always say, you don't know what you don't know until you know. So let's move on from there. Let's not go back and start condemning people, but let's, let's learn the truth so that the truth can set us free and we can thrive. That's what we want. So many people look at the church and say the church is so mean and judgmental. And I'm sorry to say they're probably right. But that's not what the church was meant to be. The church was meant to be the the entity on this earth that exudes the heart of Christ, takes care of the widow and the orphan, and, and spreads the good news to the world. And yes, that'll step on our toes from time to time, but grace is so amazing, it's not just part of a song. The song is written because it's true. So though we hold standards that are not our own, that are given to us by our maker, while doing that, we realize that people, including ourselves, are broken and fractured and they need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and we are supposed to be his hands Extended. Now, in order to do that, the church has often done something like um, we've—they've they, sidestepped the truth of God's word to try to help people on the compassion side. I, I'd say we don't need to do that. We can we can say the truth of God's word f- plainly and thoroughly without. Hating people, or judging their past, or giving them the feeling that they don't belong. That never should be. All right, let's recap. The four key realities that flow from being God's creation. One, we are made to worship. Therefore, atheism is folly. Two, God made us for dependence, so we need to trust him. Three, God put eternity in our hearts, so this life will never fully satisfy. And for God made each one of us valuable. Maybe that's, the, maybe that's the thing you're going to take away today. And if that's true, I hope it is. Listen, you are valuable. Maybe you need to break away from a toxic relationship that's, that's pumping your mind full of the idea that you're not valuable. Get out of there and get to church. We'll tell you. Six ways from Sunday, you're valuable. So, no one is disposable. Not at the end of the life, not at the beginning of the life, not in the middle of life. No one is disposable. Lord, I thank you for these truths, these realities that come from, and there's way more than this, Lord, realities that come from receiving the identity of your image-bearer created in your image. We are created for something. We are created by someone. We are created to do something and to function in a certain way. God, when we do that, we thrive. Not that life is always going to be simple and easy when we do this, but we have our resources because we're plugged in to the source. To the one who fabricated this whole thing. God, I love you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. God, I pray today that no one would leave this place feeling judged, but that they would feel, they would feel love. God, I thank you that you've given us your word so that we're not wandering around in the, in the darkness not knowing how we can live this life in a way that is a thriving life. And Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Those, here, those who are here for the first time, my brothers and sisters, and those who've been here since forever. God, I love him. Lord, bless him. Keep him. Go with him this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about New Life Church, check out our website at discovernewlife.org.